Good morning, Rise in Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. It's Thursday, almost Friday, October the 5th, 2023. How are you feeling today? Hope everybody's in a good mood. If you're not now, you will be by the end of this show. Don't forget to click like and subscribe to the channel if it's your very first time watching us here today. We're glad and grateful for all of our new friends and followers we've made. Drop a comment in the chat, introduce yourself, or if you'd like to have your voice heard on the show today or let us know some topic that you think we might miss, you can always text the show at 573-319-1586. Again, you can always text the show at 573-319-1586. All right, let's get on the road. What is quiet ambition? This is the new trend in the corporate world that has some of the top executives, CEOs, and others worried about the future of their businesses as more and more employees are committing themselves to what we're calling now quiet ambition. What is it? What does it mean for you and your career? We'll talk about that at the top of the show. At 7.18 this morning, could Donald Trump be Speaker of the House of Representatives? Yes, but <laughs> we'll talk about that this morning. And Donald Trump was asked that question. I've got the video clip to play for you this morning. And uh, we'll have a good time. A little bit of trolling, if you will, as a treat. At 7.30 a.m. this morning, a serious topic. Donald Trump's followers targeted by the FBI as the 2024 election Nears. The federal government believes that the threat of violence and major civil disturbances around the 2024 presidential election is so great, it's quietly created a new category of extremists that it seeks to counter. Donald Trump's army of MAGA followers. Yeah, that's right. Your grandma and grandpa with the red MAGA hats or the, you know, the 16-year-old Catholic kids are going to be on some watch lists here pretty soon. We'll talk about that this morning at 7.30 a.m., so a little bit uh, less than 28 minutes from now. We'll speak to Will Scharf, who is an attorney general candidate here in the state of Missouri and a former federal prosecutor. We'll talk to him about this this morning at 7.30. At 8 o'clock this morning, we're going to speak to Camelia Peterson about a couple of topics that are unrelated, but um, of course, we can't have a topic that isn't a make Camelia blush topic. It's Camelia. We've got to make her blush, right? <laughs> but before we make Camelia blush, can we please talk about the fact that Donald Trump is leading DeSantis in Florida by like... 30 points. Now, listen, I'll say it very clearly here that I have not endorsed a candidate in the Republican presidential race. Uh, at the moment, the one that I kind of like the most is probably Vivek Ramaswamy. And I know a lot of Trump supporters are out there no, giving me the. God! They're upset. They don't like the guy. But here's the thing if he becomes Donald Trump's vice president, I know all the MAGA supporters are going to go from he's a plan of sorrows to he's uh, you know, the second coming of Jesus Christ in Indian form. Uh, so I don't worry about what people say about him because I think he's good and he's got a lot of great ideas. And if he ends up being Trump's vice presidential pick, then I'm going to wear a MAGA hat for the first time on this show. I know some of you will be happy about that. My first time ever putting on a MAGA hat on the show. I've got the hat sitting over there. Well, maybe I should make the chicken wear it. <laughs> we'll talk about that with Camelia. And then I want to talk to her about uh, what's a spicy, spicy topic. But and I know you ladies are going to be like, what the fuck? But here's the story. Uh, are women in American society making our society more polygamous? How dare you? I think the answer to that is yes. Our society has been becoming more polygamous. The only thing is, is that women didn't know that they were making society more polygamous. So we're going to talk about that this morning with Camelia at 8 a.m. Central Time. It's going to be a great show. You don't want to miss that interview. And then at uh, 8.30 a.m. Central Time this morning, we're going to speak to 
Daniela Pensack, and Daniela's going to join us. We all love Daniela's weekly segments at 8.30 a.m. She's quite popular. She's a Turning Point USA field coordinator, and she's going to join us to talk about this. Get this. You're just going to laugh. So college students are now paying adults to do their adult chores for them. Yeah. Remember when you were in college, you and I were in college, we would go to and we would hang out in the laundry room, right? And it'd be all hot and steamy. There's no air conditioning in there in the dorms. And we'd go and that would be like a good opportunity for us to just kind of like hang out and chat or whatever, sit next to the washer and dryers. We're waiting for everything to get done or sorting our clothes or what have you. Yeah, uh, college students these days are just, they're done with adulting. They're hiring adults like us to go out and do their chores for them. So let's talk to Daniela Pensack about that at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. It's going to be a great topic, a great show. And of course, we have terrific guests. All right, let's go ahead and get this show on the road. But before we do, again, don't forget, click that like button and subscribe. Help us to get out the message of economic freedom and personal liberty to more people. And don't forget that text line. I know a lot of people like to ask about that. You can text the show at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586 for the text lines. All right. Now, before we get to the MAGA terrorism topic with Will Sharf here in about 20, 30 minutes, let's talk about this new trend called quiet ambition, which I'm really interested in. Trend, it's a new trend that's breaking rungs on the corporate ladder, according to Forbes. The American workforce is redefining what it means to have career success. Interesting. Workers are quietly redirecting their ambition into their personal lives instead of blindly climbing the corporate ladder as many have done in the past. So in April, a piece in Fortune magazine has called this about face from the sort of ladder climbing that we're used to in the corporate world. They're calling it quiet ambition, right? So younger workers are starting to or they're stopping chasing achievement for achievement's sake. Um, so the shift has started to cause the corporate ladder that everybody's used to to begin to crumble. And this is according to an, a study that came out in August of 2023 that showed that individual contributors are shunning management in favor of free time. Generation Z is rapidly changing the landscape of the American workplace on how workers relate to their jobs. The shift is evident in the rise of TikTok terms such as, quote, lazy girl jobs. Have you heard about these? Or, quote, quiet quitters, which we've talked about on this show. These are people who make a minimal amount of effort and make up about 50% of the U.S. workforce at the time. For those of you who don't know what a lazy girl job is, it's not really what you might call, like, being lazy. But it's the type of job where, like, you sit in an air-conditioned environment, you're at a desk all day, you answer emails, maybe you have to make phone calls but you don't really have to like be a real strong go-getter. You know, you get a nice break for lunch and then you go back to your work, you do your job, but you do that, that's it. You just do your job. It's similar to the concept of quiet quitting where a lot of people were like, oh, you're slacking off at your job. No, that's not what quiet quitting is. Quiet quitting is that you just do your job that you were hired for and you're not struggling or striving or kissing the boss's patoot you're not trying to get a higher position in management or what have you. You're just doing the job that you were hired to do. Now, it's fascinating. I'm going to string all these, these topics together because I've got three news stories here that I think all kind of um, congeal into one. Because I read another story yesterday from The Hill that says, does working from home damage productivity? And it says, just look at the data. And it said their, their conclusion is, and this is an op-ed that came out in The, in the Hill uh, again, just a, uh, actually just a few days ago, 
that says that the data shows that there are no productivity gains for hybrid work and that working from home reduces workers' productivity. Okay, interesting. Now, I find that interesting because very interesting too, in light of the fact that way back in January, February, March, uh, um, in July, there was another article in the same magazine, The Hill, with the headline that said, Remote employees work longer and harder, studies show. So we have some conflicting studies. Some studies show that productivity is up. Some, productiv some say that productivity is down when it comes to working from home, right? Now, how does this relate to this concept of quiet ambition, right? Or lazy girl jobs or quiet quitting, if you will. Well, here's the thing. This is my opinion on this. And I'm somebody who, who values, was raised in the Protestant work ethic, who values hard work and believes in the concept of hard work and achievement for achievement's sake. That's something that I strive for. But I do not blame Generation Z for wanting to have a strong work-life balance because as someone who has worked in the corporate world and worked in the nonprofit world and who has been in the halls of power and who has, who has rubbed shoulders with some of the greats in our society, right? Uh, I, I've, you know, as somebody who's been, you know, poor, in, uh, raised on a farm in Peculiar, Missouri and worked in the commanding heights of the office buildings of New York City and Manhattan, I can tell you this, the employers don't care about you. <laughs> you know this, I know this, we know this, but it's something that I can confirm. And by the time you reach middle age like me, you start to see that stark reality. And I'm, it, listen, this isn't in my best interest to take this angle with you because I, I'm speaking against my interest because I desire to be an employer. I desire to be a captain of industry and to take this show and to build it into a small media empire. So what I'm telling you right now is not just me like, you know, workers of the world unite, Austin's gone commie or something like that. But I'll tell you this, I think it's, it's good and it's healthy for us to have a balance of productivity. So for example, the other day, when I posted this article about how workers, let's say, let's take them for their word and say that these two conflicting stories are work from home. Are they more productive? Or are they less productive? Let's take them at their word that workers, remote workers are less productive uh, and say this, we have seen uh, an expeditious or uh, an exponential rise, excuse me, uh, rise in the productivity of employees over the last century. Workers have become more productive. But we have not seen an exponential rise in wages. So what does that mean? Well, either we've got to get our employers to start paying us a lot more money to catch up with the productivity that we have. And I know the, what my uh, libertarian economist friends are going to say, Austin, you're essentially exposing labor theory of value. Not exactly. What I'm saying is, is that there should be, if you are more productive in, in, uh, in increasing the profit for your employer, then you should be able to command higher wages. But that's not what's happening at this point in time. And, and obviously, inflation and the Federal Reserve have a big part, a big hand in it. And, and uh, uh, here's the thing. The compensation for many of these CEOs, the golden parachutes that they get when their corporations fail, the compensation for many of these executives is massive, right? And there is a, a huge gap between the uber rich and the uber poor in the United States. The question, of course, is what are the underlying causes of that? But no matter what the underlying causes of that are, that is still a reality, the wealth gap that exists. My argument, of course, is that that wealth gap is largely created and exacerbated by government policy and by cronyism in the United States. 
but that's something that I'll rail on every day at, at any point in time. So if those corporations are cronies and if they're in bed with government and if you're working for Pfizer and you helped develop a vaccine and you got you double dipped when it came to, you know, vaccine research and if you're a front desk worker at Pfizer and you, you know, managed to put through 100,000 more vaccines for your boss, you know, your productivity was increased over the last 10 years or so for your boss, then perhaps you should be getting paid more, right? But we haven't seen that. We haven't seen the increase. We've seen the increase in prices. We've seen the increase in productivity, but we have not seen the corresponding increase in wages. So when I see Generation Z talking about their, uh, talking about how they're having better work-life balance, if they're working from home and they're less productive than they were, fine. That's fine, in my opinion, because if you want more productivity or if you want people to not work from home, you're going to have to, as an employer, deal with the realities as they are right now. And you're going to have to offer positions that are more lucrative, that offer more work-life balance, and you're going to have to deal with it. Because here's the thing. The United States is not going to end up like Japan, okay? Now, we're headed towards a situation like Japan with, our birth, with a birthright, uh, birthrate crisis where we're not replacing ourselves at the moment and our birth rate is starting to go down. But we're not going to end up in the situation like Japan did. These people, and, and my wife and I just got back from there uh, uh, this spring where we went and traveled there. I'm you know, a big fan of Japan, Japanese culture, uh, uh, language, the arts, and their martial arts. So I know a thing or two about Japan. And I'll tell you that after World War II, the Ford Motor Company, uh, and I think it was McNamara, actually, who was the head of Ford, but somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but it was McNamara who was who brought the uh, ideas of the Ford assembly line, always improving, never stopping, nothing's ever good enough. They brought this ethos to Japan after World War II for the rebuild. And of course, it did work for a time in rebuilding the Japanese economy. But at some point, you know, a, an a person, we are not machines. We're biological, right? We require rest. We require food and sustenance and we need and and sex and we require water and and there are all of these hierarchies of needs that human humans have that don't revolve around work now do we need to be uh, productive do we need to have jobs probably right there was an experiment that was done with mice for example where they gave them absolutely everything that they needed and they lived in a communist utopia where everything was distributed to people as they needed and the mice like went cannibal and turned on each other because they had no, they had nothing to fight. They didn't have to g gather their own grain. They had no purpose and their society collapsed. So I'm not, I'm not turning communist on you for those of you who might be curious. But this idea of workers productivity going down because they're working from home. I tweeted the other day, what I said was that, yes, uh, so productivity is going down, but you know what's going up? The desire to live right? The, the, you're, you have an increased love from your family. I saw a billboard the other day that I think that really resonated with me. 20 years from now, the only people who will, will remember that you worked late will be your kids. 20 years from now, the only people who will remember that you worked late will be your kids. Okay. Right. And the 823 I see over on Rumble says the high suicide rate. Yes, exactly. Self deletion, right? The depression uh, crisis, people turning into, uh, you know, turning to opioids and uh, turning to drugs and to lifestyles to try and uh, escapism, escaping into social media, right? Digital addictions, addiction, addictions to alcohol and drugs and everything, right? Because these people, because what people do is they're trying to avoid their lives. I was, I was reading this again back to Japan. 
I was reading this beautiful th uh, article yesterday that was talking about, um, and it had a lot of comments with people uh, from Japan. It was, and it started with talking about Japanese alcohol culture versus the United States. So in the United States, when we drink, when do we drink? We drink on the weekends, right? We drink when we want to drink. We drink on our alcohol on the weekends. We get a hangover on the weekends, and that's America when we we typically imbibe our alcohol. But in Japan, it's the opposite. They drink on the weekdays. If you go to a bar in Japan on the weekend, it can be, you know, depending on what part of Japan, it might be empty. And But if you go to a bar on the weekday, they are packed because uh, it is customary after, Jap Japan, after uh, Japanese workers are done with their day to go with their bosses to the bar and to drink and drink and drink until 11 p.m. That's part of their customs and part of their cultures. So they don't drink on the weekends. Well, why are they drinking during the day or why are they drinking during the weekdays instead of the weekends like us? Well, a lot of Japanese people were commenting. They're saying we do it because we're trying to avoid the depression because we work so hard. Our lives are nothing but work, 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 work. And, and they're depressed and their birth rate is falling because they do not in Japan have any sense of a work-life balance. Now, I'm not suggesting that we turn into Europe and we have, you know, three months off of vacations or what have you, if you will. What I'm suggesting is, is that if employers really want to continue the same amount of productivity that they have from their employees, they either need to compensate them financially or they need to allow for a proper work-life balance that will maintain the kinds of, of, of positive lifestyles that will be pro-family, that will be pro-individual in this country and deal with it because quite frankly, I'm sick and tired of corporate overlords who are in bed with government, who uh, pass laws and rules and regulations that are anti-worker, that are anti-individual liberty in this country, right? There, there's an argument, and this is a populist argument, there is a populist libertarian argument uh, that I adhere to and believe that a lot of the problems that the United States faces have to do with the fact that we have not properly balanced, have had a proper emotional balance of health and we're not taking care of our families, and we're not creating healthy communities. I, I, you know what I, Stephanie and I were watching the other day, I, and I don't wanna go off too much a tangent because I'm gonna get back into politics in just a moment. We were watching a video of malls from the 1990s, and this was a video that just was people walking around malls and chatting with each other and uh, communi communicating with each other and you know making friends and seeing people that you know, right? Now, things like that do happen in grocery stores and things like that in small towns, right, where you see people say hi to your friends from church, whatever, right? And, and there are still some community gathering places, but I miss malls. And Stephanie and I were saying we really miss malls because before you could buy everything online, right, and before you could spend all day scrolling, being social, before being social meant being on social media, we would go to malls and we would talk and gather and congregate. We used to be excited to go to malls, not necessarily because of like, you know, the video games that you would buy at the computer store or the, you know, the fun stuff you would eat at the mall food court or the t-shirts that you would wear, things like that, not necessarily the shopping, but because of the human element, because you would sit around in, in like the food court or in some of the common areas and you would chat, you would talk, talk to other mothers and your kids would play together. And we had this, a stronger sense of community before we all got locked into our phones and before we all got locked into corporate jobs that prevent us from being able to properly relate to one another. I mean, I have never really climbed the corporate ladder very well. And I know that a large part of the reason people don't see me as a team player, because after work is over, 
I mostly would not go to the happy hours, right? I mostly, I'm not an ass kisser, right? I, and I don't, and, and I, after work was over, I didn't want to sit around, even when they would bring like beer sometimes, they would have like beer taps, you'd drink free beer after work. You know, for the most part, like I wanted to go home and spend time with my friends and my loved ones and build positive, healthy relationships with people. And I think that that really is something that's lacking in our society. So when I see articles like these, quiet ambition, that Generation Z is pushing more for work-life balance, and they're not afraid to say it, and I think COVID-19 definitely played a big part in this, and I know employers are freaking out about it, especially the people who own business real estate, right? The big fat cats who own giant office buildings that they want to keep rented out so that they can get the rent for workers that are filling up these buildings, right? They're the ones who are behind the big push from go back to the office, go back to the office. But people who are working from home, even if they're less productive, I think it's okay because they're getting a better, healthy work-life balance. They're spending more time with their loved ones and the people who care about them. They're not commuting. God, I don't know if you've been a person who has had to commute and then suddenly not had to commute anymore. Thank God, like I live in a small town here in Jefferson City. My commute here is like 10 minutes in the morning. But I've commuted on, what is it, I-35 in Washington, D.C., just like a few miles home from D.C. to Virginia, and I would sit on the road there for an hour, not moving. And think about all of the, think about what months of your life, maybe years that you spend sitting in traffic. How much money are you spending on gasoline? It's better for the environment, right? You're not, it's better for your pocketbook. You're saving money, not commuting, right? But it's not good for the fat cats. It's not good for the corporatists. And it's not good for the people who think that basically workers are stupid, dumb, autonomous uh, robots that aren't autonomous and that they that they want to just control us like puppet masters. And that's why I always recommend people starting their own business. Not everybody can succeed in it, but I always try and help people to find side hustles, to find ways to, to uh, grow their uh, bank book around having to work for the man. And I say this as somebody who would probably like to be hiring soon. So love to hear from you on your thoughts on this. You can send us a text at 573 573- 319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. Eric Wilson Live says, I can't speak for others, but I feel no loyalty for to companies after being fooled for over 20 years. Hard to invest too much uh, when they have no intention of rewarding that loyalty. Amen, Eric. Thank you. Jared Thatcher says, can we start a mall crew? Yes. <laughs> Studio 314 says, I wouldn't mind a four-day, 40-hour work week, honestly. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, I would love it. Get it. It's it's time for us to start shaking things up, right? Well, the I was reading another article that was talking about how the power of, it, for a while during the pandemic, the power was in the employees' hands, but that now it's starting to return to employers, and I think we need to hold on to that, right? I think we need to hold on to that power. Um, the 823, uh, uh, good morning, nice to see you. Steffi for Liberty, my wife, my wife, says, I used to have school club meetings at the mall. That's cool. <laughs> Steffi for Liberty says, when I became friends with people at work, it actually caused more problems. You have to keep good boundaries with people you work with. Yes, see, I agree with you, lovely lady. And uh, and the reason why the, corp- the corporations hate that is because they want you, and they'll put, the, the reason why they put beer taps at the office, the reason why they, they put all these perks in the office place is to get you to stay there so that you can, so that you work from, I used to eat my lunch at my desk at work. Is there anything more sad than that? Uh, it, it really is. It's not good for you. It's not healthy, right? Sitting down is the new smoking, right? It's not good for you. 
you got to get up, you got to get outside, you got to move around, you got to do things that are good for you, good healthy activities that are good for you, taking care of yourself, exercising, eating healthy, getting outside. This may not be good for business, but you know what? There's there's always money's going to always be around. And like I said, I'll I'll repeat this again for the third time and I'll say it maybe a good hundred times on the show this morning. Good. But 20 years from now, the only people who are going to remember that you worked late are going to be your kids. All right, let's get to the big story here. Coming up next, Donald Trump followers targeted by the FBI as the 2024 election nears. That's right. Your grandma apparently going to be on a government watch list. MAGA terrorism is the FBI's latest, greatest. We'll talk about that with Will Sharp when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and grateful to have you here. Make sure that you click that like button. And if it's your first time watching the show today and you're enjoying the content, click subscribe. Come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time, the Wake Up America Show streams live. It's a great way to start your day, find out what's happening in the world, spread the ideas of economic freedom and personal liberty. That's what we're all about here. You can text the show and let us know what's on your mind at 573-319-1586. Again, the text lines are open night or day. Sometimes I get text messages in the evening when I'm putting the show together, and I love to hear from people, and I'll even respond back then at 573-319-1586. All right, well, let's get the show on the road. Is your grandma a terrorist? Donald Trump followers apparently are being targeted by the FBI as the 2024 election nears. That's right. The FedGov believes that the threat of violence and major civil disturbances around the 2024 presidential election is so great, it's actually created a new category of extremists that it seeks to track and counter. You and me, Donald Trump's army of MAGA followers. Joining us now to discuss is a former federal prosecutor, and a current candidate for attorney general here in the state of Missouri, Will Scharf. He's joining us live right now. Good morning, Will. Thanks for joining us. Morning, Austin. Always great to be with you. It's always great to get a good dose of freedom first thing in the morning, and uh, I'm excited for uh, for the show ahead. Uh, hell yeah, Will. So what was your reaction when I sent you this piece yesterday? Had you already seen it, or what, what were your thoughts? You know, this piece is really the latest in a in a stream of similar pieces that we've been seeing for a, really a couple of years now. I mean, the politicization of the Department of Justice under Joe Biden, under his his henchman Merrick Garland, is something that that I don't think we've seen before. Certainly not in modern American history. Uh, I mean, they are committed uh, to weaponizing federal law enforcement uh, to cramp down on on conservative dissent against the Biden administration. It's crazy. It's un-American and it's got to stop. Yeah, no kidding, Will. I mean, as somebody who's been in the liberty movement for about 15 years now, I've never been a big fan of the feds, <laughs> but uh, I, I always suspected that government such as it is would always will always eventually be turned against conservatives like yourself and libertarians like myself. I think it was back in 2008 when the in Missouri there was this MIAC report. I don't know if you ever uh, if you ever heard of it, but they actually labeled you know Ron Paul supporters, Bob Ball supporters, Bob Barr supporters, libertarians, constitutionalists as potential domestic terrorists. So you're right. This is something that has been going on for some time. But it, it, have we seen a level of weaponization of this of the government against conservatives like this before? Is this is this just mundane ho-hum, or is this a new level of threat against people like us? 
I think it's a totally new level of threat. I mean, under Merrick Garland, we've seen uh, DOJ weaponized against uh, parents who show up to school board meetings to complain about radical leftism in their kids' schools. Uh, we've seen DOJ, obviously, with, with the January 6th protesters. Uh, I was saying to you just before we, we came on the air, uh, I met a Jan Sixer who's, who's actually going to federal prison, I think, today. I won't use his name because I didn't ask for permission. But this is a guy who peacefully protested at the Capitol dressed as as George Washington, and they sent him to prison for a year. Uh, I mean, just up and down the line, we've seen this willingness by the Biden administration to bend the rules, to break the rules if there's a political advantage in it for them. I mean, conservatives are not a threat to this country. Uh, I think Joe Biden's policies are a threat to this country. It's uh, it's the world turned upside down and it's got to stop. And that's why it's so important for people who believe in freedom and liberty like us uh, to stand up and make our voices heard now and particularly in the 2024 elections. Now, Here's what Brian Michael Jenkins has said. He is one of the world's leading terrorism experts. He's a senior advisor to the president uh, of the Rand Corporation. He says that the current political environment is not something that the FBI is necessarily responsible for, nor should it be. Um, now, it, it's hard to suss out what he means by that, but one of the reasons, the, the primary reasons I think there's so much conservative and obviously libertarian anger at the FBI or these uh, these institutions, I, I think it's a righteous outrage at these institutions because of the way for example, the didn't the FBI spy on Donald Trump when he was campaigning for president when Ob Obama was still the president? I mean, it, it's if there's an anger at these agencies, it certainly is a righteous one, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you know, let's let's tease that out a little more. I mean, people forget just because there have been so many scandals and crises over the last few years, the Russia collusion hoax, which was was central to this narrative that that uh that Donald Trump had colluded with with the Russian government, his campaign had colluded with the Russian government. It's now been proven to have totally been a hoax. If you read the Durham report, this is something that was planted by the Hillary Clinton campaign. And yet, as you said, uh, they took out a FISA warrant, a, a foreign intelligence warrant against Carter Page, an advisor to President Trump. They literally wiretapped the Trump campaign and they didn't find anything. But the fact that they would engage in that kind of domestic surveillance uh, against a political opponent, against a guy running for president. It shows you just how out of control uh, these these folks are. And, you know, a lot of conservatives have called for serious reforms in the intelligence community, whether it's the CIA, the NSA, the FBI. And it's stories like that that really give weight uh, to those sorts of calls. I mean, the Russia collusion hoax should outrage all Americans. I mean, this was an example where uh, the greatest powers of the federal the federal government uh, were weaponized for political purposes, and it did real damage to the country. And unfortunately, since Biden has gotten into office, we've seen a lot more of that, not less of that. And if we don't stand up and, and, and stop it now, I'm scared to see where it goes. Yeah, no kidding. I, I want to talk about Biden here in just a moment. But for those who might just be tuning into the Wake Up America show now, Good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. I'm speaking to Will Scharf. He's a former federal prosecutor, current AG candidate here in the state of Missouri. We're talking about a Newsweek article that shows that the FBI is exclusively targeting uh, Trump followers uh, in the upcoming 2024 election. The president bears a lot of the brunt of the burden of this, from what I understand, Will, because here's what President Biden tweeted last September. 
He says, Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans are a threat to the very soul of this country. He says, MAGA Republicans aim to question not only the legitimacy of past elections, but elections being held now into the, into the, and into the future. Now, let's set aside the fact, Will, that for four years of Trump's presidency, we heard nothing uh, but stolen election narratives from people like Stacey Abrams and Kamala Harris and others who, who uh, Hillary Clinton, who all question the legitimacy of Donald Trump's election. Let's set that aside and focus on the fact here that Joe Biden seems to be the point man for directing these kinds of hostilities against conservatives as official weaponization of the Department of Justice against his political opponents. Is that too hyperbolic? No, not at all. And when you look at these prosecutions that they've brought against President Trump, it all starts and ends with the Biden White House. I mean, when Alvin Bragg, the New York DA, got into office, he ran on a platform of prosecuting Trump. He got into office. They, they couldn't find prosecutors in that office who were willing to, to indict uh, President Trump. That was going nowhere. And then suddenly this guy, Colangelo, with close ties to the Biden administration, close ties to Joe Biden, shows up in Bragg's office. And believe it or not, a couple of weeks later, uh, they indict President Trump in New York. Uh, careers at DOJ didn't think that they had cases to bring against President Trump. Uh, suddenly you get this Jack Smith guy appointed special counsel by Merrick Garland. And suddenly you have these insane cases being brought in Florida and D.C. against President Trump. I mean, they are they have turned the full force of, of the federal government against their political adversaries. It's un-American and it's got to stop. And, and you know, I, I say this on the stump all the time. If they can do it to President Trump, they can do it to each and every one of us. And that's why it's so important, even for people who aren't Trump supporters, it's so important for folks to stand up and let their voices be heard. Uh, these sorts of political prosecutions just have no place in our system. And they're, they're deeply corrosive to constitutional government, the sort of constitutional government that I know that, you know, you've spent your life and career advocating for and fighting for. Well, what is the solution to this? Because I, I, I guess maybe I am an ex I, I'm if I'm not on a watch list, I must be doing something wrong uh, because I, I listen, I agree with Vivek Ramaswamy. You know, we should abolish the FBI. And we should perhaps those responsibilities need to be remanded to the federal marshal service. But that's kind of a longer and winding conversation. I imagine you probably, as a conservative, don't agree that we need to abolish the FBI. You probably think that we need to have some uh, reform at the FBI. My argument, though, is, Will, is that these institutions, my, my, my meta argument, if you will, is that these institutions like the FBI, they're always going to be weaponized against conservatives. The Department of Homeland Security, for example, was created by George W. Bush. The Patriot Act was created by George W. Bush. These, when we create these institutions, Will, my argument is, is that it will always turn against conservatives and libertarians because we're not big on funding government largesse. If conservatives are doing their job, they're trying to cut budgets. They're, they're trying to be conservative when it comes to fiscal accountability. So, so obviously the feds are going to hate libertarians because we don't think they should, they should have a job, but they're going to hate people like yourself as well, who are the, a little bit more of a, you know, a traditional conservative type will, because you are not their friend like Democrats are their friend. So what is the solution to this? It, when, if you think it's reform and I think it's abolishment, 
Can we meet in the middle and fire, oh, I don't know, 500,000 feds instead of a million? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I've only been inside the main justice building in D.C., the, the headquarters of the Department of Justice, when I was working on the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation. I was on the team that helped confirm Barrett to the Supreme Court. Uh, I'd never been inside that building before. It's massive. There's this whole sort of headquarters clique in D.C., that uh, that's just, you know, we're not talking about line agents chasing bank robbers here. This is a group of people who I believe are deeply political actors, uh, even the careers there. Uh, Vivek has has, you know, really blown up, uh, came from nothing. Now he's one of the top polling candidates in this presidential race, the top polling, I guess, runners up to President Trump uh, because he's he's making arguments that that people just agree with. I don't know whether the answer is abolishing the FBI or you know, maybe we move headquarters to a city like St. Louis or Cincinnati and let, you know, actual police officer types run the show instead of these politicals. But, you know, if you don't believe that all of these institutions of government, the entire federal government needs to be radically reduced in size, radically reshaped in scope and radically reined in, you're just not paying attention. I mean, the days when we could think of you know, federal officers as being friends in the fight for liberty, the federal government as being a protector of our liberties. I think, sadly, that day has passed. That's why the stakes in the 2024 election are just so high. If we don't restrain the sort of abuses that the Biden administration has routinely engaged in, we're not going to have a country left in a couple of years. And, you know, I'm committed to this fight. That's why I decided to run for office for the first time. I know you are as well. But conservatives need to wake up. You know, this isn't your, your granddaddy's federal government. Uh, this is a, an out of control federal bureaucracy that's being weaponized against us. Oh, well, when you say things like, oh, um, maybe it's time to start looking at these federal officials as perhaps not al our allies anymore. I say <laughs> in my in my best John McClane from Die Hard. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, Austin, I mean, the idea that uh, that parents would be surveilled by the federal government. Uh, for showing up to school board meetings and, and being angry about critical race theory, radical gender ideology being pushed in their schools. The idea that that's the, the highest and best use for federal resources. It's just it's so bizarre. It's so violative of constitutional norms. This article you sent me from Newsweek. Uh, I mean, this is political targeting of the current administration's political adversaries in the run up to a political election. I mean, politics and law enforcement do not mix. I think what they're doing to President Trump is outrageous. You know, I've been front and center on that issue for months. Uh, but it doesn't it doesn't end with President Trump. It's not going to stop there. Uh, they are committed to cramping down on political dissent and to using the immense powers of the federal government to do that. And I just think that's un-American. Amen. God bless. All right. So uh, I've got one other topic I want to get to before I let you go here, Will. But for those who might just be tuning in right now. Uh, FYI, I'm Austin Peterson. This is the Wake Up America show. It's nice to see about 700 people watching us live this morning. Grateful to have you here. Could you do me a favor? Click that like button and subscribe to the channel if you enjoy the content that you're hearing this morning because the Wake Up America show needs your help in spreading the ideas of economic freedom and personal liberty. That's what I'm all about. My guest now is Will Scharf. He's a current candidate for attorney general here in the state of Missouri and a former federal prosecutor, talking a little bit about the weaponization of the DOJ and the FBI against conservatives, specifically Trump supporters in the upcoming election. But I'd like to segue very briefly, Will, uh, and talk about not just the weaponization of the Justice Department, 
but of the uh, cronyization of the Justice Department in order to protect Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, from the kinds of prosecutions that if someone like myself had done half of what Hunter Biden would done, I would currently be rotting away in a federal prison at this point. What is the status with the prosecutions against Hunter Biden? And is it likely that he'll avoid prosecution? And and I guess, you know, to top it off on all of that, is he going to use the, the Second Amendment, which his father has fought a career against? Is he going to use the Second Amendment as a de- defense for smoking crack and wielding a firearm? <laughs> you, you know, it's uh, Austin, it's a crazy case. I, I want to correct you, though. It's not just about protecting Hunter Biden. It's about protecting Joe Biden. So Hunter engaged, he was the point man in this vast foreign influence peddling operation intended to enrich Joe Biden and his family over a period of many years. So far, DOJ has tried to cover that up. DOJ has tried, has gone to extreme lengths to give Hunter a pass, I believe, because they know that if they were to fully investigate and prosecute Hunter for his many crimes, uh, his co-conspirator is sitting behind the Resolute desk in the White House right now. I mean, you have tens of millions of dollars flowing into this Biden family apparatus, this network of, of offshore accounts and offshore companies uh, from China, from Ukraine, uh, from Hungary, from all over the world. And what they were doing was was selling the influence of the office of the vice presidency, uh, in some cases to our nation's adversaries like China. It's I've said it before. I think it's the greatest scandal in American history. DOJ, uh, a couple months ago in in federal court in Delaware, tried to structure a deal that would be outside of judicial supervision, that would be outside of the public eye to basically give Hunter Biden a total pass on all of this, on tax evasion, on foreign influence peddling, on failure to register as a foreign agent, on very, very serious crimes in return for a a guilty plea to essentially slaps on the wrist, you know, a couple minor tax charges and a pretrial diversion on these gun charges that you referenced. That blew up in court because a federal judge, uh, to her credit, Mary Ellen Noreka, uh, basically said that she was going to call balls and strikes and she wasn't going to sign off on this outrageous deal. Now they've indicted Hunter, not for all of these incredibly serious crimes that get to the heart of the Biden family uh, and their whole scheme, Uh, But a couple gun charges because Hunter was addicted to crack and using crack while he possessed a bought and possessed a firearm. Now, those are serious charges. But if if there's not more coming, I mean, if they're not willing to indict Hunter Biden uh, for all of these other crimes relating to China, relating to Burisma, uh, relating to, uh, you know, these tens of millions of dollars flowing into Biden family accounts. I mean, that just really shows you the double standard that's at play. Uh, with the federal government and with the Department of Justice these days. It's it's outrageous. I think they're trying to just sort of push the buck beyond the 2024 election uh, in the hope that Joe just pardons Hunter and they can go back to, to doing business the way they were before. Uh, but, you know, this is something that we've got to watch. We've got to demand accountability. And uh, I hope Joe Biden is held accountable for for his many, many crimes. Let's do it, Will. I'd love to see you as the prosecutor in that case, as Attorney General of Missouri. Speaking of your campaign for uh, Attorney General, where can people find out more about you and your campaign? Sure. You can find us on on basically all social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Truth Social, uh, at Will Scharf, W-I-L-L-S-C-H-A-R-F. Uh, and you can find us online at votescharf.com. 
Uh, conservatives across the state of Missouri are fired up. That's been the part of this campaign I've enjoyed the most. Uh, people are awake to these issues in a way that I've never seen before. Uh, and I think 2024 is going to be a great year for uh, for people who believe in the rule of law, for you know good conservatives and libertarians like us. Uh, if we can keep the energy levels up and if we uh, if we get to the polls and and demand change there. So I'm excited. I know my team is excited. And, uh, hopefully we're going to have a, a great year ahead of us. Amen. God bless you, Will. Good luck out there on the campaign trail. We look forward to seeing you hopefully in studio sometime soon. Have a great day. Anytime. Thanks a lot, Austin. Thanks very much for your time. What do you think of Will Sharf? Send us a text at 573-319-1586. Again, the text lines are open at 573-319-1586. Donald Trump for Speaker of the House. What do you say? Let's do it. I got that little taste of chaos with the vacation of the Speaker of the House the other day with Kevin McCarthy, and I was just like, mmm, tastes like anarchy. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. I'm just like feeling good about it. What about you? Would you like to see Donald Trump be Speaker of the House of Representatives with me? Come on. Let's do it. I vote chaos. <laughs> Donald Trump, um, president of the United States again? Maybe. I think so. One of the things, though, I have to say is that, you know, I know that there's a lot of angst from Trump supporters at DeSantis supporters, and I wish it had never happened. I mean, I find it to be inevitable, of course, if you're campaigning against one another, you're going to have those you're going to have those problems. You're going to have them fighting and, you know, pitching at each other like the like a couple of drag queens. But I'll just say this. I like DeSantis and I like Trump and I like Vivek Ramaswamy. And do they all have their problems and flaws? Sure. The closest to me ideologically, probably Vivek Ramaswamy. But I have to say that I think any of those top three candidates, in my opinion, would do a good job as president of the United States. Do you agree or disagree? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, do you think Donald Trump should be Speaker of the House of Representatives? I do. Honestly, I'm for it because I just see this as a win-win for us. It drives the left bonkers. They go ape poop. They go crazy. And just nominating him was, was fun enough to get people upset. And then two, if he actually became Speaker of the House of Representatives, can you imagine? Can you imagine how much fun we would have for the next year until he becomes president of the United States again? <laughs> Where's my evil laugh? <laughs> Well, again, you can text the show at 573-319-1586. I do appreciate someone texted in uh, guest suggestions for the show. Love those. Those are great. Text me in guest suggestions if you have people that you think we should have on the program. I always love that. I love that we've got over 1,100 people. Our show numbers just keep climbing this morning. Can we get more likes and subscribes to the channel with that uh, growth in content? Think about it. You're getting amazing content, amazing guests. Think about who we've got coming up next. We've got Camelia Peterson. She's going to talk to us about 
Um, a couple of topics. One, Ron DeSantis apparently is like 30 points behind Trump in his own home state of Florida, which is kind of... Eh, 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 eh. Then I want to segue to this. Apparently, uh, I was reading this and listening to the psychologist this morning who was talking about how uh, American women are making American society more polygamous. Yes, our American society is actually becoming more polygamous. It's just that women don't know that it's becoming more polygamous. You're not in on the secret, uh, but it's you that's making it happen. How is that happening? Austin, you're such a misogynist. Anyways, that's a great topic to make Camelia blush. We'll talk to her in just a few minutes. But before we do, uh, before I go to our brief commercial break, real quick, and FYI, the No Lives Matter shirts are almost gone. You got to get yours today, especially if you want to get them by Halloween. They're selling like crazy. Go to ap4libertyshop.com. That's AP, the number four, ap4libertyshop.com to get your awesome No Lives Matter Michael Myers shirts. Get them in time for Halloween. It's a great Halloween costume. We've got a ton of awesome Halloween merchandise at apforlibertyshop.com. Like, our government is scary shirts. Due to inflation, uh, this is my Halloween costume shirts uh, and other awesome, like Grim Reefer shirts and things like that for the pothead libertarians and stuff. So check it out at apforlibertyshop.com. That's AP, the number four, apforlibertyshop.com. So you can enjoy Michael Myers. You'll be just as sexy as this Michael Myers right there. All right, well, when we get back, let's talk to Camelia Peterson. Are American women making American society more polygamous? Well, the answer is yes, whether you like it or not. So the question really is, why? 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 Talk about that when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad to have you here. How are you feeling today? You know how I know we're having a good show? It's when I'm checking the live stream and I see that our numbers are going like this. Up and up and up and up and up and up means more and more people are enjoying it. Well, how about you do us a little favor? Click that like button. Let us know that you enjoy the content. Of course, we'd love it if we could earn your subscription as well. Keck Check says AP for Liberty. Followed. Thumbs up. Great show. Thank you. I thank you, sir. I thank you. We always appreciate our friends. Keck Check here. InfoWars joining us as well. The Clear Sight, Il America, nice to see you. Il America, one of my favorite music videos on YouTube is called Il America by Wolfgang Gartner. It's like a really badass music video. And it's actually, you would love it if you're into American history, especially my next guest, I think would also love it as well. Check out Il America by Wolfgang Gartner. It's like this dubstep song that goes through American history, but it does it in kind of like a lefty view a little bit, but it's still pretty awesome. Check it out. Uh, over at YouTube. It's just a recommended video. I bet you Studio 314 is going to drop the link over there. All right. Well, a couple of stories to talk about with my friend, Camelia Peterson. She's going to join us here in just a moment. First story is that I sprung on her and didn't realize that I forgot to send her. So we're going to get her reaction in real time is that apparently Donald Trump leads DeSantis by 35 points in Florida. Yikes. Epic fail. Um, and then the second story, which is the one, the really juice, juicy one, is that I'm really looking forward to talking to. Apparently, American women are making America more polygamous. Yes. We'll talk about that with her, and she's going to join us live right now. We're looking forward to the blushing. That's what we'll call it, the blushing happening. Good morning, <laughs> Camelia. How you doing? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> What's going on? Before we get to the blushing, Camelia, um, can we please get your take on the the your fresh hot take? Just found out right now. Donald Trump leading DeSantis in Florida by 30 points. Ouch. 
I mean, that's surprising. I, yeah, I, I don't know that I would have seen that coming. Uh, of course, like I have tons of questions now, but I'll have to look at those later. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, it seems to be, it seems to be an inevitable path, right? Like just, there doesn't, I don't know. You know, I look at this and people ask me all the time because there's still, for all the people that I talk to, maybe it's just my circles, I don't know. But, you know, I, I also work within a lot of what I would call MAGA circles, so to speak, because Missouri, I don't think anybody can, can contest that Missouri is a MAGA state. <laughs> so, I mean, there are a lot of people who are still like, we really like, and I wonder if this is part of it, by the way, there are a lot of people who are like, I really, really like Trump. I wish he would keep his mouth shut. I, that's like, you know, they like his policies, they like, you know, what he does, but they don't necessarily like all of the drama that's currently stirred or that's constantly stirred up. So I don't know, I kind of wonder if some of those people are in there, may depend on how the questions are phrased, but it certainly does appear to be that he's the only one that has a clear path uh, to winning the primary. Yeah, for sure. And listen, I know that there was kind of a hope that there might be a Trump alternative for people who are tired of the 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 antics, if you will, the Trump antics. And, you know, I've never been a, a MAGA guy, although I have committed to wearing a MAGA hat if he picks Vivek Ramaswamy as VP instead of like Carrie Lake or somebody else. Uh, but um, uh, at the end She's, of the day, what's that? She, I was say she did file to run for Senate in Arizona, so maybe we'll dodge that bullet. <laughs> And I mean, it, you know, I, she'd be a, she'd be a fine <laughs> senator, you know, she'd be a fine senator. And then honestly, if she wins her yeah, election, mm. you know, here's, no, no, no. Here, well, better than the alternative, for God's sakes, Camilio, at, at the end of the day, you know, you and I, as libertarians, we're grasping at straws here, trying to do trying to make improvements by a game of inches. Right. But I'm trying to, to remember, is she running against Kristen, Kirsten Cinema? Like, would mm, you take Kirsten Cinema over her? That's tough, because, yes, I would. Because I do think that ultimately she would vote better than Kirsten Cinema. Although the value of Kirsten Cinema is that she's like the Joe Manchin type, right? She's like right. a Demo she's like a Democrat who blocks Democrats for us when we need them, but still votes and shakes hands with the Democrats right. a large majority of the time. Yeah. But yeah, I would take Carrie Lake over Kirsten Cinema because I do think that despite the fact that you know I think Carrie Lake has played sore loser for too long, and I never you and I have never bought into the stolen election election narrative that I think has turned off a lot of voters from people like Carrie Lake and, and Donald Trump for a general election. I do think that they would be better overall. So it's my same argument for Trump, right? Sure. Uh, DeSantis, I think, would be a fantastic president. You know, I would vote for him. But at this point, if we're talking about second place, we're talking about a distant second place. I'd rather vote for Vivek Ramaswamy because Ron DeSantis gets to continue to be a great governor from Florida and and stay governor. And maybe he'll be a good president when he runs if he runs again in 2028, for example. But I think we need to, honestly, I think we need to support our bench. We, you know, Vivek's a young guy and, you know, supporting him and giving him a good, strong vote total, you know, encourages young people in the Republican Party. So we're not the party of old boomer fuddy-duddies. You know what I mean? For sure. And I, you know, for all the people that talk about that, we sure seem hell-bent to stay on that path of putting old fuddy-duddies in for the next four years. It's just, it's just exhausting. And I had somebody say to me last night that their fear is that um, if Trump wins the primary, but he does not win the general, that we are not going to see, like, we're not going to see conservatives in the White House for a very long time. And I get that. I understand that. It's depressing to think about. So I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard to even guess anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. And if Carrie, if Carrie Lake wins the uh, Senate uh, seat, then you don't have to worry about like the VP, right? Because she, she can be a Trump ally right. with a, with actual power versus the VP, <laughs> right, which, which really has none. Yeah. <laughs> Um, good morning to all of our friends who are joining us live here on the Wake Up America show. I'm your host, Austin Peterson, speaking to the lovely Camelia Peterson. We're going to switch topics now away from politics, but I guess it, you know, relationship, marriage, dating, things like that. They do have a political angle to them. Um, Camelia, so you watched that video that I shared with you from that psychologist about polygamy. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll just set this up as gently as possible before I go hard in the paint. Um, and his, this psychologist's conclusions were that in American society, you know, we very much have been supportive of women and their goals to, you know, get good jobs, get higher paying jobs, to get, uh, degrees, to get higher degrees, right. And to thrive in, in society. So, you know, financially and spiritually, emotionally, et cetera, et cetera. But that has had some unintended consequences of which one are that if women typically are hypergamous, meaning that they like to date or marry across and up on the socioeconomic ladder, what that means is, is that as we have pushed harder to help women socioeconomic status, the pool of available men is shrinking smaller and smaller and smaller for what women might actually be interested in dating. So what the psychologist has concluded is that women are in polygamous relationships, maybe perhaps without knowing, because of those available pool of high quality men, the, the men that are the desired men, they have their pick of, they have the pick of the litter, right? The bounty of being able to choose any woman that they want. I will say from experience, bro, that it's when you're a man in that situation, it's awesome. And you don't want to change that, that situation, right? Because it's nice being able to know that you could have 5, 10, 20, perhaps even 25, or even 30 women available to you for whatever you need at any point in time. Most men aren't going to experience that. But I'll say gently, without any hubris or ego, that from that, from that experience, I can say that it, you you would not as a man want to change that in society because it's good for you as a man in that situation. It's bad for like 90% of men, very good for the top 10% of men. Now I'm setting this up and it's kind of a long story because I want to get to what the solutions might be to something like this. Because the problem, of course, is that women are now polygamous, meaning that one man is with many women and women may not know that that Sometimes they do, but I see more and more TikToks now, where, which are kind of jokes, but I think are also true, where there it'll show, you might have seen videos like this, where the woman walks in on her husband, who's like a rich guy or like this high value male, and, she's, and she's, he's cheating on her, right? Like walks in on the act, and she pretends like she's, she doesn't see it, and then turns around and walks out. You're cringing. I am, like, yeah. You're cringing. <laughs> But it makes sense, doesn't it? Um, High so value man are. is hard to find. Sure. And, the, the, and, I think and women would rather share a man that is high value than date a man who is below their socioeconomic status. Am I incorrect? Uh, I may not be speaking for most women when I say no. <laughs> so you're telling me you would rather 
If you had to choose, you would date a man who was below your socioeconomic status, a man who is not of your education. Right, right. Let's let let's pick the let's pick the average guy on the streets of Joplin, Missouri. Walk down the street, and he's going to be your new boo thing. Or, <laughs> or you can be with a man who is well spoken, erudite, writes well, has a very strong vocab, but he has a few girlfriends. Pick one. Yeah, no. Uh, well, I mean, no. I mean, like, there's a third option here, right? No. No, there's not a third option. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a third option. I don't, I mean, like, no, no, but let's you know, hear it. <laughs> I, you know, like a lot of women are choosing this, to be honest, um, and that they don't have to be with anyone. I mean, there are definite downsides to that as well. But the reality is, is in the current culture, um, women have, have come to be in a position to where they do have that option. They don't have to make that choice whether that's good or bad. I mean, it's probably good and bad, to be honest. I mean, that, and we have, women have kind of set this up culturally in some of our role models, that article you sent about, what's her name, Bilson? You know, like how I am with actresses. Um, anyway, the actress that was talking, that has the podcast that was talking about how that it's a red flag for her if a partner, if a male partner does not, have, well, if the body count is like four, you know, as a yes. size. You know what that's I'm saying? The, that's the story. So this uh, Hollywood actress, what is it? Maria Bilson is her name. What's her name? Like that. Yeah. Something so the, <laughs> yeah, she says that if a man is in his 40s and he's only ever been with four partners, that's a red flag for her. Right. I mean, so we have like that's not normally um, that's not what I would say is normal. for You women. are so you know wrong. Saying? You are so wrong. I'm just Camilla. saying like for what See women no want. Evil. Hear no, like, no seriously, evil, do you think, speak no evil. Do you think that's what women want, though? Yes. Yes, I know okay. that's what women want. I know okay, that women do not want, especially if a man is 40 years old, they do not want an inexperienced man with four or less partners. They view that as weird. They view that as odd. It's not, I mean, it's scandalous to hear her admit that, right? But let's, I, I want to find her, uh, her name. She did, because... she did have a caveat. I mean, she did say the, the exception is, is like, it's understandable if a man has been in a long-term relationship. Right. Know, Rachel Bilson thinks it's weird Rachel. if single middle-aged men only had four sexual partners. But what does that tell you about the mindset there, Camelia? Like extrapolate, because I think you have to let's put on Rachel Bilson's shoes here. What is she really trying to communicate there when she says that? Uh, well, uh, when you talk about polygamous relationships, I, there you go. I mean, that's exactly what I'm saying is that a woman would rather share a high value man typically than to date a man that is below her socioeconomic status. So what that is default is polygamy, essentially, right? That is sure. one man with with many women. Um, can you understand why women would prefer that, even if you don't agree with them? I think from just a, a baseline, this is our base nature point of view. Um, yes. I mean, sure. When you're talking about, you know, evolutionary biology, psychology. Yeah. I mean, you're looking for if you're if you're talking about your instincts to procreate and what you want in your children, then yes, those are the men that you're going to be looking for. There you go. See, now, as awkward and uncomfortable as it was, I got that admission out of you. Now, here's what, here's what this psychologist suggests are the solution. One is what he calls a reactionary movement, which I know a lot of conservatives would, uh, would uh, favor. We put women back in their place. 
Okay. Or okay. two, ask women to lower their standards. Yeah, I know you're not going to like that very much. Or three, support men as much as we support women in society. Your thoughts. I choose one. Hey, well, okay, but I, you know, it's probably a little unrealistic there. We're we're living in reality, aren't right? All so hey, aren't all is. three aren't all three unrealistic though? One well, asking yes, women one maybe. putting putting women back in their place, unrealistic. Two, telling women to lower their standards, unrealistic. Three, support men in society as much as we support women so that they can advance themselves and get higher degrees and and outcompete women. Also, unrealistic. Sure. And so, you know, I think when we're talking about our base instincts and women wanting, you know, high value men and all those things that go along with that, I think part of the process here, too, is that we should be informed by those instincts. We don't need necessarily need to behave according to those instincts. And I think that's part of what is supposed to make us, you know, more than animals that makes us human. So, you know, we should strive for that. But I do agree. So, um, you know, putting women back in their places, probably not going to happen. Um, what was the second one? We need to, oh, lowering standards. Okay. Yes and no. So I think that one does tie into supporting men. And like you and I talked about, that's that sounds like the one to go with. But how do we do that? It's also not easy to do. So I was thinking about this. And, you know, with the competition in the workplace, I don't know that we are we're going to go backwards and that men are going to have all of the good jobs and the higher paying jobs and those sort of things. So I don't think that's not going away. So the question is, is how do we elevate the men of today in other ways so that they are so that there's still that sort of equality in women having a larger pool of men? to pull from that are equal or above, because it's not just a matter of- You're talking about number impact. three. You're talking, talking about, about number, number three. three. But, and, I, and, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Burnt Toast Space Girlfriend says, and drop $10 in the tip jar, thank you. I like to tease Camelia about the 19th <laughs> Amendment, but she deserves some recognition for being steady against AP's lines of questions and jokes. Yes, thank you for the uh, tip, Burnt Toast Space Girlfriend. She certainly does. So in this, as American society is becoming more polygamous, right? Uh, and not always be by, you know, because women are knowing that it's becoming polygamous. But in this, uh, the third solution to this, which is the one that you brought up, is that it's, we need to lift and up men and support men as much as we support women in this society. Now, I, I want to criticize that very briefly. And then I want you to, re to react to my criticism of that. The problem with that is, I mean, and why I think that's never going to happen is that one, you're just never going to get society to suddenly turn around and start uplifting men after an entire, you know, generations and for the last two or three generations, we've done nothing but shit all over men in society, in movies and television, making us look like morons and idiots and things like that. That's that's sort of embedded into our culture and society to hate men such as it is. That's going to it would take a massive ship to turn, you know, a massive amount of effort to turn something like that around. That's why I don't think it's going to happen. One. But then two, the reason why I don't think it's going to happen, because even if that did happen, let's say that we get all of the man hating out of the media and we start to appreciate the role of fathers and all bring it around. The problem is, is that we're back to square one because what women want to do is to date across and up, but preferably up, not preferably across, not date a man with as much of an education as her, 
not date a man with as much of an income as her, but date a man who is making more than her, who is more highly educated than she is, which puts men in a position of authority again and places women into a not lower tier status, but and not a secondary status, but a separate status from men. That is not going to happen because it comes at the expense, again, of women not being in a superior dominant position. Would you like to pick that apart? Well, so I don't totally disagree. I uh, I think the question is, is how do we adapt to that? But it, where we are, you're right. You don't just unring the bell and there's not going to be some major thing that all of a sudden, you know, flips the switch and we're back to where we were or things are better for men. And I think that it's going to have to be very gradual. I do think that we have been seeing pushback in terms like you talk about this a lot. There are a lot of men online who, you know, talk about this issue a lot. And, you know, I may not like him, but, you know, Andrew Tate also elevated this, you know, topic in, you know, popular culture to people like that. But there are so there are men who are are talking about this and working on it. And I think that we are seeing it uh, more people be aware of that. So I think that that is part of the solution. Um, I do think also that we have to start being very, it's not going to be undone in even one, two generations. I mean, I think we're going to have to be at this for a while. And, you know, maybe to a certain extent, this gets uh, bred out, so to speak, because if the women who are are taking this approach are not having children, then they're not passing on those values to those children. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's yeah. A pipe is, the, is the modern American woman in a very sorry state? Uh, I Yes. I mean... I think that goes across the board to a certain extent, but I think it's been, it's a, it is, um, it feeds into each other. I think men have a lot of work to do too, but I think that part of that is because is a response to, you know, the path we've gone down with feminism. Yeah, but here's the thing, how you ladies, we, how do we break the cycle? But the, but the thing is that, that you ladies are actually like, as, as much as men are struggling and suffering and self-deleting and, and in, in a situation, I actually long-term bullish on men. Um, long-term um, bearish on the ladies, uh, <laughs> because I'll, I'll say this: because of, because of the the sadness, right? There's a lot of women are going to end up single, cat ladies, divorced, right, alone, and and not able to find a mate because their standards are so atrociously high and obnoxiously high that they would rather be alone than to be with someone that they see as a lower socioeconomic status than they are. That that's a recipe for uh, for sadness and loneliness. But I'm also I'm I'm bullish because more men are sort of waking up to this, right. and I think men typically do better if we're going to if you're going to be alone. Men typically, with our survival, you know, our base survival instincts tend to do better alone than ladies. Right? We can handle ourselves in a in a harsher environment to a larger extent. I'm speaking very generally and broadly. Sure, there are some Hercules. There are probably women out there who can kick my ass, okay? But I'll just say that that's not the norm. But I'm more, uh, I, I see more men as sort of taking the power for themselves because the problem that women face right now is that, for example, I like the example of trans biological males in women's sports. The only way that things are going to change for the better for women to not end up the, you know, 75-year-old divorcee alone with her cats, you know, or in a nursing home, you know, and no family around her, no one to love her, no one to be at her funeral whatsoever, 
it, the only way that's going to happen is if women take the conscious choice not to participate in the feminist culture that is embedded in both political movements, conservatism and liberalism. There's a feminist conservatism that is just as as virulent as leftist con conservatism. Right. It's just that most of conservative women who are feminists don't know that they're feminists. They think that by fighting against left-wing feminism, that they're fighting you know, for the kinds of traditional values that they embody. But as we discussed on Tuesday, the majority of divorces are initiated by Christian women who identify as very religious. So in the situation, for example, when it comes to biological males and women's sports, that's not going to change because men are going to do anything about it. Men can't do anything about it. In this situation, we are powerless because who is it, which gender are the ones who are voting and choosing to allow transgender people in sports? You think that it's men that are supporting these kinds of things? Maybe some simps. No, some I don't males. think that it's men, right? Right. Yeah. I so, think so, so you ladies really are sort of sowing the seeds of your own destruction, are you not? Sure. And I think this is part of what uh, it needs to happen for things to kind of level out and get back to a healthier state is. So you're right. I think that men. Um, yeah, I think that men are kind of on the upswing here and figuring out how to deal with this. Um, I think that women are going to have to reach that point, too. And you talked about the conservative feminists and they don't really realize it. And there there are you know, there is a segment of conservative women who I do think are realizing this, but the problem therein too is that they want to use um, the state to enforce, you know, to make that change for them. And then you that's a whole other problem. So we do need women who are not only recognizing um, the needs for men and the gender roles that are just, that are, are innate to us, but they also need to get back in touch with their femininity. And I will say it's been encouraging me, to me to see, I have found like just a couple of accounts of women who um, are doing that. They are talking about this is if you, if you want to find a man, you need to be a woman. Like you, these, are, these are the things that are in your nature that you need to get back in touch with and you need to not want to have to be in control all of the time. Uh, so, I mean, I think there's, I just think it's going to take us longer to get back to that point. But I, I, do am I am somewhat hopeful <laughs> that that content is coming for women that you know. So it's only going to be when the pain is really kicked in, right? The reckoning sure. only yeah. the reckoning is only going to occur when they when they suffer the consequences of their own poor decisions. When there is what I like to call that one word. Do you know what word it is? Accountability. Accountability. <laughs> Yay! So here's the. Can I just pull this That's back? That's why I, just want, a I want all the men to take all your scholarships. <laughs> well, okay. Well, so here's the thing. I would love for men to be taking women's scholarships because I do think that one of the reasons that we're seeing part this cycle, this this trend, is that in our education we have stopped. I mean. We need men to be in physical sports and physical activities. They need that aspect of their lives to be masculine yes. men. It doesn't matter if they're good at it or not. They need that experience. But we have almost in some ways, um, you know, in the last, you know, 50 years, gone to a, a focus on that and less on the intellectual culture arts side. And I think that imbalance is contributing to what we're seeing now. Agreed. No, I agree. That is a, a big part of it, right? That uh, 
because I, I, when I talk about this concept of male disposability, the leftist view of male disposability is that men are evil, patriarchal, and should be, you know, deleted, should delete themselves from society. But the conservative view of male disposability is that men should be sent off to war and should um, always, whenever there's a violent encounter, even if the female initiated it, men should throw their bodies between the woman and her assailant in order to protect her and sacrifice his life to save the hoe in case, you know, no matter what, even if she a hoe. Um, anyways, I, on a related note, somebody just sent me this awesome story, just came out yesterday. You probably haven't seen this. Men overrun Grace Hopper women in tech conference by registering as non-binary. Did you see this? Yeah. So that's why, that's probably why I got demonetized on YouTube because they filled out a survey I had to fill out a survey for like creators and it was like a couple of weeks before I got demonetized and the survey I filled it out like because I, you know they nobody can tell me no they can't tell me I'm not I filled it out as non-binary right I, I you know I filled it out that that's that's what it is is because I don't want to tell big tech that I am a straight white libertarian republican male so I encourage this kind of stuff. I'd like to see more of it. I, um, I'm encouraging sure. all men to stand up and register themselves when they apply for jobs as women, trans, or non-binary, because it's time for us to, this system that wants to gus. Uh, Camelia, <laughs> anything else you want to share with our listeners before we head over to Daniela Pensack? Uh, I love Daniela, by the way. But yeah. anyway, no, I just, I, you know, on this last note, I think you're right. Um, we have to have these pragmatic approaches to these issues, whether it's in culture or politics. But there is a place for this kind of chaotic disruption to happen. And I think that some, sometimes that plays a very significant role in turning the tide on things. That's right. That's right. Constant <laughs> Drummer got it, nailed it. He says, men don't need women, but a good woman can enhance a man's life. That's true. We are strong, independent men who don't need no woman. But I think you need us. Camelia, we'll talk about this again, I'm sure. <laughs> Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Have you been enjoying so far? Good. Well, make sure you click that like button then and subscribe to the channel so that you can get updates when we go live. The Wake Up America Show is every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. It's best enjoyed live, although we do have the audio version of the podcast that gets uploaded later. Sometimes people write comments and they're kind of like, why do you keep every five minutes saying the name of the guest that you're talking to? I know the guest that you're talking to. Well, that might be because you're not listening it to, to it live. And that's fine. We love it when people are listening to us later on. But just FYI, the show is best enjoyed with a live audience, dropping comments, hanging out, sending text messages, which you can do right now, anytime, night or day, really, at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show night or day, 573-319-1586. That's how we get some of our awesome topics. Like one somebody sent a few minutes ago when I was talking to Camelia about this women in tech conference got overloaded by dudes who were running out there and saying that they are, well, they're non-binary. And I gotta say, way to go, bros. I mean, non-binary, what, what do we call that? Brohos, brohos. There you go. <laughs> and another topic that uh, we were talking about was this idea of women dating across and up. Would you rather, as a woman, date a high, be with a high value man above your socioeconomic status that you have to share, or date a man who is poorer than you, lower socioeconomic status, and maybe you don't respect him, 
but it's monogamous. Let's ask Daniela Pensack. She's a Turning Point USA field coordinator, and she's joining us live right now. Daniela, would you rather date a high-value man, makes a lot of money, has a, a PhD, has the respect of his community, but you got to share him, or some regular guy that you meet off the streets and he doesn't make a lot of money and maybe he's a kind of a stay-at-home dad type? Yeah, you know, Austin, that I I really don't understand where most women are coming from on this. If that's truly the case that they want a more of a high value man, but they would rather get cucked. I personally can't. I personally don't. I can't even foresee or imagine a situation in which I would willingly get cucked by a guy. Um, so I would way. I mean, easily no no choice to matter. I would just get a guy that is lower value than I am. I think providing love. Um consistent affection and being monogamous is more valuable than just some money, some, you know, an extra larger salary. But I don't know, maybe I'm just built different as a woman. If this is where women are coming to, that's really sad. (laughs) It it is sad, but I mean, it makes sense, right? Like this, that, that, uh, and a lot of times women don't even know, for example, that they're being polygamous. It's just that the reality is, is that as the pool of, of, of men who have, because you have a master's degree, Right. So it, it would be, would it be nice? Would you, would, would it be attractive to you to date or marry somebody who's a PhD and makes a lot of money and has a lot of respect in his career? I mean, that, that would be an attractive well, prospect, right? Well, yes, of course. I mean, if we're going to pick an ideal situation here, yeah, I would want <laughs> a philosopher king that makes a lot of money that is very smart and provides me a consistent attention and affection. Sure. I mean, I would, I would obviously, but we but, don't live in that world, Austin. But so. yes, that's see, that's the thing, because the reality is, is that those philosopher kings, Daniela, can have any woman that they want. They get their choice because that, yeah. that is because there's much, much there are many there are fewer men that meet the criteria and the, uh, the qualifications of what you've described than there are of women. So those women they that are out there they're gonna they're more willing to share a high value man and or many times they don't know that they're getting cucked that they're like dating six or seven other women on the side so that's kind of the reality that we're that we're living you know is the solution then to one ask women to lower their standards two uh lift up men in society so that they then will supersede you again or three put women back in their place I'm a listen. I'm a strict individualist. I think everyone should be having the same opportunities to uh, not obviously not um, equality or equity, but just similar opportunities to get to the objective that they want. Um, I'm not a male supremacist. I'm not a female supremacist. And I know that sounds like a cop out answer, but that's genuinely how I see it. And look, there there's a lot of situations I've seen online where you see for example, a high value woman. But when she when when the woman plays the game similarly, you know, she is considered uh well let's just say there's a few unsavory comments that I've seen thrown against women in the same vein, right? If a woman dates around, well she's loose. If a guy does the same thing, well he's he's top G. So I just feel like listen, we should be looking at the situation on an individual level, see where the individual's coming from. Um, maybe that seems like a cop-out answer, but that's where, I, where that, that's how I see it. I it's tend not, to look at people as I don't as see it individual. as a cop-out. I don't see it as a cop-out. It's just, and I'm not even saying that you're wrong, right? Because I, you know, I think it would, I would love to live in your ideal world, but I think that, you know, the reality is just that 
where women are in the in the scenario we're just in a different place right that that the world mm -hmm. such is as such as it is in at least culture highly values females going to college getting an education getting good jobs climbing the corporate ladder you know getting master's mm -hmm. degrees and higher and things like that taking you know bigger jobs and then of course you know your natural instinct is of course to date that be that with that philosopher king so you know you're sort of stuck in a situation where it's very it would be very difficult to find a mate who really would meet those high, higher and higher standards but but in asking a woman to lower their standards that it is in itself a very politically incorrect thing however i do have some good news for you uh daniela because the clear site over on rumble says i am a lower value man daniela are you single yes i am presently single i am presently single and dating okay good for you daniela let's move on to more serious topics um, I saw that. Well, it's semi-serious. Did you see this article I wrote? I sent you yesterday. College students apparently hiring adults to do their adulting for them. Yes, I did. Uh, this new business model. It's called CSS or uh, concierge, concierge for Student Services, I believe. Um, yeah, they provide. Basically, it's like a mom for hire or mom for rent, where uh, a college student can hire. Uh, based typically, basically a nanny um, that does basic services for them, like uh, grocery shopping set medical appointments um cooking food for them and making meals and uh this the the rate is ten thousand dollars per academic year by the way so it's very pricey it does target a certain uh class or demographic of students um so not everyone can afford it but those who can afford it can get someone that does basic chores for them and this is drawing the ire of a lot of people because the perception is you know the newer generations they're unable to do basic tasks they can't I hate this word, but they can't adult or be or like do proper adulting. Um, so for that reason, a lot of people are kind of like upset at this this business here and saying that it's a major issue and it's calling the next generation of college students. But where I'm coming from, listen, I think if you can't afford it, more power to you. Is it maybe a little uh, embarrassing and strange? Yes. But at the same time, I, that's kind of part of the American dream. You pay people to do things for you. so. Um, I personally don't see a problem with it, but I can see why it upsets a lot of people. Yeah, uh, the my my the libertarian in me says yes, free market capitalism. You know, these people they're bringing in a nice revenue. It's good for them. It builds the economy. Hurts nobody. Helps people. Great. Um, but then the conservative in me sees this as like a sign of the decline of Western civilization, where <laughs> more and more young people are not uh, taking the kinds of responsibilities for themselves that are necessary in order to be a functioning adult. I mean, maybe these people are going to go on to be like the kings and queens of America anyway, the aristocrats who are never going to do their own shopping. You know, it's kind of like this one time I saw a video of our former Treasury Secretary under Obama, and he was in a supermarket looking at like lettuce and things like wearing like his three piece suit, you know, looking all schnazzy. And you could tell he's like never been in a grocery store before because of the yeah. way weird way he's like looking at lettuce. He's like, oh, yes. This is where the common people come and get their foods, right? So, so maybe these people are going to grow up to be like the next, you know, treasury secretaries in that in that way. But do your conservative impulses or libertarian impulses win out on this one? I libertarian. Listen, because I think I think that, in my view of human nature, is this: if you're put into a situation where you do have to survive, you will figure out a way to survive for the most part, regardless of your economic background and how you were raised. Um, I think that things like grocery shopping or cooking your own meal or even 
God forbid, setting your own medical appointments. Um, I think if uh, even a young adult, if they're placed in a situation where they have no other means of doing so, they will find a way to do it. Uh, it's just a matter of basically how spoiled they are in the present moment and if things can be provided to them in the present moment. Um, uh, you know, I, I haven't grown up particularly wealthy. My parents aren't particularly wealthy, but some may argue that things were provided for me when I didn't have to do them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being natural or naturally, sorry, if you're born into a, a blessing, like if you're born into a blessed situation, I think you should take advantage of it. Uh, and I don't, and I, I can see how this could be perceived as having a detrimental effect in Western society. But um, I think what this actually is indicative of is that since the latchkey kid generation or generation Z, a lot more people are living at home for longer periods of time. And I think um, people are less inclined to move out sooner than since generation. I'm sorry, did I say generation Z? I meant generation X. Um, gener since generation X, uh, the millennial and generation Z generations are living at home longer and they're getting married later. And whether that's due to the housing market or the economic crisis that we're having right now, um, I think that that how that pattern will make people more reliant on their parents, um, less inclined to learn self-sufficient uh, practices like this. And unless something changes economically, I don't think we're going to see, you know, people moving out sooner, being more self-sufficient until much later in life. That makes sense. Um, and I'd like to actually sideways step into the discussion about college loan debt here in just a moment. Let me briefly reset for those who might just be tuning into the Wake Up America show. Good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. We're glad to have you here. I'm speaking to Daniela Pentsack. She is a Turning Point USA field coordinator and a regular contributor to the Wake Up America show. She joins us here every Thursday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. So if you like Daniela and you want to see her again, Come back every Thursday here at this time, but I highly recommend that you subscribe to the channel and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. It's a great way to start your day. So click like and subscribe if you know what's good for you. Uh, Daniela, uh, the next topic here, the White House keeps canceling student loan debt. Even though the Supreme Court ruled against them on this, how does this keep happening? Uh, you know what it is? I think this is a new Biden campaign reelection strategy. He... Um, you know, 2024 is coming up. He's gearing up that campaign. So what happened yesterday is that Biden has proposed a new student debt relief program that instead of covering 400 billion, like the previous one he proposed, it just covers 9 billion, but it's going to cover a little over 100,000 people that qualify for the program. And uh, he introduced it just three days after uh, student debt payments have started to rack up again and start after three years of being frozen. And uh, yeah, it is drawing some conversation because He's doing this despite the Supreme Court ruling on his previous debt relief program, saying that it was unconstitutional and he was exceeding his uh, executive boundaries. So, um, but I think what this is really is just Biden's just trying to trying to be relevant again, obviously for the next uh, the the upcoming um, election. And um, I I can see how it's I don't think it's a winning strategy, but it's uh it's a strategy is all I'm gonna say. Good to know. Um, the final topic that I had for you, Daniela, was this one with. On Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, socialists like her always say that they're really only going after the 1%. They're going after the billionaires. They don't go after the millionaires, of course, because many of them are millionaires. However, it looks like they're really now coming for the middle class. Uh, what is this story? Yeah, so AOC and other Democrats are trying to raise um, tax rates for not just the 1%, like you said, but for 5%. So anyone who files individually for 100000 
um, per year in taxes are now going to be taxed uh, more, considering that the 5% already pays for 64% of income tax in New York. I mean, New York is uh, New York is quite the experience when it comes to taxes. Uh, they're one of the most highly taxed uh, states already in the nation. Um, they pay the most for public schools outside of every other state in the nation, and they pay the more in Medicaid than uh, Florida and Texas combined. So they have pretty hefty taxes as it is. But AOC and people of her ilk are finding that, well, listen, we need to tax them much more than we already do. And what this is really is a compensation for the budget cuts that have been happening already in New York for migrants coming in. And um, they're just trying to rack up those taxes for, for citizens to pay for all that. It's a lot of sense. Daniela Pensack, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go today? Uh, just follow me on Twitter. It's at Pensack Daniela. I'd love to see people commenting on my stuff and liking my stuff. So go and see me there. Do that. Hey, Daniela, we love seeing you here every Thursday on the show. Thanks so much for getting up early and being so generous with your time. We're grateful for your reports. Uh, of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's Daniela Pensack. Follow her over there on Twitter at Pensack. Daniela. That's P-E-N-T-S-A-K. Daniela. Not Daniela, but Daniela. All right. So this is just cracking me up. And I'm going to I'm gonna just do this on the fly here. See if I can pull up this story for you of these guys who crashed this tech conference for women in tech. This story is making me laugh. It's got like a TikTok video in here. I'm going to try and pull it up for you. See if I can play it so we can watch this. This is a Grace Hopper celebration. So it's a, a career fair and conference designed to bring the research and career interests of women in computing to the forefront. But this year, droves of men descended on the Orlando event with resumes in hand, and some reportedly even cut lines and shoved women out of the way to submit those resumes to potential employers. Good for you guys. Female attendees. First of all, what is a female? What is a woman? Uh, these men are acting like zoo animals. They, did you say men? Excuse me. They are non-binary. These men, how dare you? Where's my how dare you? Greta Thunberg sprinting to the booths and physically hurting some of the attendees. Listen, girl, you know, you need to get your maybe you need to take yourself some testosterone. Anyways, let's see. I don't want to be there. there. Like you're literally in my fucking space. He's like, oh my god, I'm literally gonna freak out. Historically, this conference was made for women because of the lack of representation of women in technology, despite women being the first coders. And this year is the first year where there has been an insane amount of men who win, and they're not going to listen to the sessions and learn. They were there just purely. Oh, come on. Purely for what? Purely for what? The jobs. That's right. Get them, guys. Get them. I mean, get them, non-binos. What do we call them? Non-binobros? Non-binobros? We need a new name for the, the boys, for the non-binary bro boys. But they're boys, but they're not boys. You know what I mean? Come on, Internet. Where are you at on me right now? For the career fair. Keep in mind that the entire conference is named after Grace Hopper, who was a woman computer scientist and mathematician. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is a woman? Lady, you, you listen up. Whatever you identify yourself as. What are your pronouns? How dare you assume that Grace Hopper was a woman? You can't even define it. Pave the way for women in technology. Here's what happened in the words of the women who went. These men are acting like zoo animals, sprinting to the booths and physically hurting some of the attendees. Here, a woman posted that two men tried to follow her to her hotel room, and she had to turn around and confront them for them to leave. Many posted that the men were physically pushing the women around and even hit on them. Men, men, excuse me, non-binary bitches, come on, we all non-binary up in here, aren't we? Non-binary bros in the house. 
getting them jobs. Which made women feel uncomfortable. And this is supposed oh, to be a safe well, space for women. We wouldn't want to make the women feel uncomfortable, but what is a woman? Men. Numerous women have reported that the men even took photos of the recruiters or photos of the participants. And we're even talking about this. I'm sorry, but this this lady is just transphobic. How dare you? Just absolutely. Somebody call the police. FBI, open up! How women looked in their own native language so that others couldn't understand. Many women were extremely frustrated with the turnout because of the fact that they paid easily $1,500 to cover the expenses, the flights, the tickets. And it was just frustrating to see that men were taking advantage of this tech pipeline. And even guys Take were taking in. up the interview slots, time with HR, basically just like pushing women aside and Take interrupting it. women and just dominating as they do with meetings. Big Again, the men who attended it. went to barely any of the sessions to listen to the women speak about issues like underrepresentation in tech, the importance of inclusivity. Instead, they went straight to the career fair. And what they failed to acknowledge <laughs> is men because... Okay, so that, I guess, is repeating right there. All right, let's see. There's more video. <laughs> It's very loud. It's nothing but music. But here we go. Let's see. Seeing all the bros. Look at all of these non-bino bros. Let's give it to them. Look at them. They're not even trying to dress like women. I love it. I love it. I love it. See, this is why when I was talking to Camelia earlier, I am long-term bullish for the bros. Long-term bearish for the ladies. But men are taking their... Career conference for females in tech was taken over by male attendees. They were there just purely for the career fair. Social media clips filmed at the Grace Hopper, the world's largest gathering of women technologists, show men standing in line to meet with recruiters. This is a space for women. First of all, shut up. Uh, you don't know what a woman is, okay? So shut up and sit down and get out of the way. We're coming for you, ladies. We're coming for your jobs. We're going to take your positions on the sports team. We're going to get you want to get out on the sports pitch with us, ladies. Well, guess what? You you're the, you asked for it. Now you're going to get it. Democracy is the theory that the common non-binary bro knows what he wants and deserves to get it good and hard. This is one of those few limited resources that isn't for you. It's for us. Ah, it isn't for you. It's for us. Oh, oh, so sad. So is somebody taking away your scholarship? Is somebody taking away your job? Is somebody taking away your position on a corporate board? Is somebody taking away your position in academia? Is somebody taking away your job in tech? Oh, we all feel terrible. Oh, oh well, but this, where's my, I know what I need is the world's smallest violin. How They're dare always, you? How dare you Some now? of the male attendees reportedly lied about being non-binary just to get in. Lied? Hey, wait a minute. Who are you to say that they lied? How dare you, bigot? Do you know that they lied, that they're non-binary? First of all, just how dare you? How we need, dare you? Thank you, Greta. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? But it's interesting that the large majority of the people that actually ended up in the event had name tags with he, him, and have no searchable history of identifying as non-binary. Oh, is there, oh, is this, is there a gay stopo now? Are you guys going to go through their search histories to make sure that they have properly transitioned? I thought that you could be what you wanted to be just by identifying as such. Them's the rules that you made up. Several tech workers defended the men for trying to capitalize on job opportunities not meant for them, seeing that the entire concept was wrong. Let's be honest, there is no need for a conference just for women because if it was the opposite just for men, it would be sexist. 
Just Thank because you. you are a woman doesn't give you the right to talk to a big firm recruiter. Guys work just as hard and they don't get that chance. God bless them! Yes! We're winning, guys. We're winning, non-binary bros. We're not we're winning. <laughs> I love it. You love to see it. See, the left will destroy itself. Sometimes you gotta fight fire with fire. I love this. I saw there was like a Republican representative from some state and he like he identified as a non-binary woman of color i was just like god bless you man that's what we need to do that's why from now on when i fill out any forms for anything like that applications especially when it's some leftist corporation or something like that i am trans i am a woman of color from here on out what about you you guys want to get in on this movement with me huh are we non-binary now i say we will win. They may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. God bless you. God bless everyone. It's it's clown world, so we might as well have a few honks, right? Don't forget to visit ap4libertyshop.com. That's AP the number four. ap4libertyshop.com. I saw somebody got their No Lives Matter shirt. That's one less than the kitty for you. Get yourself one. Halloween's coming. Want we'll to make sure that we get it there in time. AP, the number four, AP4LibertyShop.com. We've got all kinds of awesome Halloween merchandise as well as delicious Founding Flavors coffee. Stop drinking coffee from woke corporations that hate you and drink it from an American patriot like myself at AP4LibertyShop.com. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow, Freedom Family Friday. You know what that means? The lovely, smoking hot, redheaded libertarian wife, Stephanie Peterson, is going to be here in studio. I know you're excited. I'm so excited. This is like the smoking hot libertarian babe show. If you hadn't noticed, God bless it, right? If you like you some smoking hot libertarian babes, click that like button, subscribe to the channel, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com.